Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to the new episode of the Audio Epics Storytelling Podcast. Uh, we had a conversation this week that turned out to be quite long, unexpectedly long, actually. And so I thought it was a good idea to split this one up in two episodes. So coming up next is the first part of our conversation, and then next week we'll have the second part of this particular topic. I hope you'll enjoy it. Hello and welcome to another Audio Epics podcast. Uh, and Happy New Year, by the way. Yeah, Happy New Year. I hope you enjoyed uh, the holidays. Uh, we try to. We've been very busy, but we're very excited to be back with another uh, episode. Yes, here we are. And what is today's episode about? It's about uh, viewpoints in storytelling. With viewpoints, we don't mean points of view or different opinions when it comes to storytelling. Right, right, yeah, no. But we're going to talk about actual points of view uh, used in the narration, uh, mainly in uh, written written stories. Yeah, this is mostly a topic that pertains to, you know, novels, etc. Although I think it also uh, has its place in, uh, in the cinema. Right, and we'll try to talk about that. Uh, we don't want to, to make this uh, course on how to write an excellent novel because there's a lot of information on the internet about this. Uh, Brandon Sanderson has great YouTube uh, videos about points of view and narration. So we don't, we don't want to make this a course, but just uh, talk to you a little bit about the different points of view you can use. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be aware of it even. No, no, I think it's probably a more recent phenomenon that uh, writers are very conscious of their, the viewpoints that they use. In the past, they weren't so much. Exactly. Um, but I, I, it is important to, to know about it these days, I think. Right, and I think readers have become more critical of it as well, because yeah. readers didn't really used to pay much attention to it in the past. So, roughly, what kind of viewpoints do we have? Well, I think if we start with the, the oldest and most popular one, I think a third-person narrator is uh, still uh, very popular, especially in fantasy and science fiction. Yeah, yeah, in, in, in all kinds of genres, yeah. I, I'd say. But um, these, these genres in particular um, are very fit for it. And these um, are the genres we read most, right? Yeah, we talk most about often. most. I, that's really what the podcast is mostly about, although we also talk about other stuff. You have two kinds of, um, of narrator that you can use. There's the omniscient perspective, the all-knowing narrator, which is really, you know, what, what most stories used to be like. Think of any fairy tale a long time ago in a kingdom far, far away, you know, there's this grandfatherly <laughs> figure who who knows everything and tells you exactly what happened, knowing all the thoughts and feelings of every character. Right. Then you have a, a limited perspective also within that uh, third-person narrator. That's a narrator who usually follows one character, so he doesn't tell the thoughts of other characters, uh, for mm. example. You experience the story through... Uh, a character's lens. Right, but yeah. But it's not the character talking. Yeah, so uh, a good example of that, I think, would be Harry Potter, where um, you mostly follow the story through Harry's perspective, 
Um, so the narrator is always saying, Harry felt this, Harry thought that, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So it's in third person. Um, it's talking about Harry. It's not Harry talking. But we know everything about his thoughts, his feelings, and not about other people's yeah. uh, thoughts and, and feelings. You, you, you tend to feel sympathy for the, the character uh, described, obviously. Yes, yes. Okay, and then, of course, second person. Yeah, but that's, uh, especially in literature, it's more experimental. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. choose your own adventure choose your approach. Own. <laughs> it's not exactly literary, choose your own <laughs> adventure. <laughs> I guess um, it's the kind of story where you'd have a sentence like, you walk into a bar and you address the barkeeper. Um, yeah, it's, it's not very popular, so we won't spend a lot of time on this uh, POV. Okay, fair enough. Uh, and then, of course, um, there's first person. Yeah, that's a very uh, popular point of view nowadays, especially since the rise of YA fiction. Right, yeah, that's true. The first person is I. Yeah, I. Me. Me! <laughs> <laughs> it's all about me! Yeah, and uh, I think that's, that's very um, appealing to especially teenagers. Because they like to feel immersed in a certain character. Um, we know Brandon Sanderson distinguishes three uh, subtypes of this first person. Hmm. Three? Yeah. You, you, there are three versions of I? Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> That's deep. I, me, and my. <laughs> no, um, he distinguishes the storyteller. Um which often blends into a third-person omniscient. Uh, it's more traditional. It's, it's one character who tells the story and seems to know all the details. So. Right, okay. So it's, what you're talking about is an omniscient narrator who also addresses the audience once in a while. I guess. That's what it is. I, I, I'm not really sure about... Uh, I don't really have an example in mind, actually. I think it would be something like... Um, I, I think C.S. Lewis does that in, in the Narnia books. For example, this story takes place when your grandfather was still very small. And I remember what candy was like back then. Oh, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I think Eustace was being very unpleasant. And, <laughs> you know... Um, that's kind of charming, actually. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Uh, personally, I see it as a third-person narration. It's just that the narrator... Um, it's just an omniscient narrator, and occasionally he turns to the audience. Instead of just being this detached narrator, he, he's a person. He has opinions and thoughts. Oh, that's kind of cool. Uh, it, yeah, nice thing to experiment it with. It sounds really experimental, but it's <laughs> actually extremely traditional. And so, then uh, yeah. a second type he distinguishes is a reflection. So one character is reflecting on a number of events. And that is very popular in YA. Yeah, um, so you mean something happened years ago and and now you're telling it to your children, that kind of thing? That kind of thing, yeah. You can use the past uh, hmm. for that if you want to reflect on something. So that's, I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> that kind of storytelling. That kind of storytelling. Yeah. And the third type is the camera which is more modern. It's uh, very cinematic. 
it's very cinematic and yeah. uh, in that way if you use that uh, I w it would seem that your novel could be easily adapted to screen because you're already um, describing everything in a very cinematic way that yeah or a video game if it's first person <laughs> right uh, um, so it, it's sort of it's happening now you're in it yeah um, so it seems to go well with the present tense then exactly um, so that's a brief outline. Um, we're going to try to uh, describe these points of view more in depth without um, making this uh, a course. Uh, for no. no, we just want to go writers. a bit deeper and sort of delve into where these viewpoints might be attractive, um, how they could be used, examples of perhaps stories, books, movies, whatever, that use them. Yeah, I think if you're an aspiring writer, uh, it can be interesting to know about these things. Uh, just so you know, you, you're you consistent with your point of view. Yes. And, and, and if, if we're talking about writing, tense also. Yeah. Viewpoint and tense are linked when it comes to writing. Exactly. A story. Not so much in, you know, in the cinema, of course. Not at all. But um, if you're writing a story, yeah, you have to choose between uh, tenses. Mm -hmm. So we might perhaps uh, go over those. Yeah, so um, you basically have three tenses. Uh, the past, the present and the future tense. But actually, in practice, I think uh, future tense is not really used, right? No, not even in science fiction, actually. <laughs> yeah. One day, uh, someone will go to a spaceship and he will open a door and he will... <laughs> yeah, it, it would be very tedious to read a book like that. Yeah. The, the word will would be on every page 20 times. <laughs> so, that yeah, I think for that reason, it, it's not really... But used. if you want to experiment yeah. with that, uh, yeah, sure, sure. anything's possible. <laughs> We're very curious uh. about the result then. But yeah, I guess normally you choose between past and present. Yeah, and uh, we'll talk about that later when we uh, when we talk about these tenses within uh, a certain point of view. It can create a very different kind of writing. Okay, let's talk about third person. So um, what I like about a third person is that it's a timeless point of view. Uh, it used to be the normal way of telling a story, but nowadays it's still used a lot and it's still very effective, right? Yeah, I kind of see it as the default point of view. Yeah. Um, third person, past tense, seems to me like that's the normal way you would write a story. And then, of course, there's, there's still the question, are you going for an omniscient narrator or uh, a limited yeah, I, perspective? I, uh, I think both still work. An omniscient is, of course, uh, an all-knowing narrator, like a, like a god. The narrator knows all about his characters. And that can be very um, liberating because you can actually put in all information you like. Yes, but, but it, has, it has drawbacks as well. Um, I think... For example, it, it can be a bit confusing. You switch around so much. I mean, if you if you don't do it well, you switch around so so much between different 
viewpoints within the same scene that it's um, you know it it might feel just feel jarring to be in one person's mind and then in another person's mind, um, but it can be done well. That's why I think um, when you use an omniscient narrator well, uh, I think the the writers who do use it, they tend to stick to uh, occasionally talking about thoughts and feelings. Mm-hmm. But they will r- rather um, describe more physical experiences of the characters and than than emotional experiences because I think that's more clear to the reader that way. Yeah, um, if I think about the um, Ding, the Lord of the Rings, first mention yeah. for this podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what what he does there is um, it is an omniscient narrator and occasionally there's a little bit of extra information on how a character feels or a character is reminiscing about something or particularly moved by something and that and then that is described and then the story just goes on from this sort of more bird's eye perspective sort of um top down watching the characters go about their business yeah so Tolkien is kind of a storyteller in that case absolutely very much so and in and in the hobbit he even, in The Lord of the Rings he doesn't, but in The Hobbit he even does the first-person uh, storyteller thing uh, that we mentioned, where he he gives his own opinions and about what characters are doing. Right. To go back to the sort of uh, omniscient narrator, um, a good example of that, where it is done well, would be Dune, I think. Yeah, why would you say so? Because uh, in Dune um, you have... In each scene, there's a lot of dialogue in that book. And in each scene, you really get the perspective of everyone involved. He writes down what they think. And he does so mostly by just writing thoughts down, mm-hmm. you know, in italics. Um, right, and it's clear uh, also who is thinking what. Yeah. And because he does that, he makes the story more exciting. Because, for example, you know the... Uh, the motivations of a character who is planning on doing something bad. Yeah. And the other characters don't know, so that kind of creates yeah. a tension. You know in advance that yeah. he's going to do something bad. Yeah, I love that about Dune. That's true. Nowadays, I prefer a limited perspective more because I tend to uh, feel more immersed in a story that way. It, it definitely is more popular uh, these days. If you read a, a novel that was written in the past, I don't know, 20, 30 years, it's most likely written from a limited perspective. Yeah. And in a third person, you can have you can actually have as many characters as you like. Uh, and, and that makes it so uh, suitable for epic fantasy, I think. You can have gazillion characters. And viewpoints. And viewpoints uh, that way, yeah. yeah. And 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 in these massive series like the Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan and Brandon Sanderson's uh, Stormlight Archive, etc., are good examples of uh, stories where you can you know have have a different viewpoint in each chapter, and so that that can create an epic feel because you have all these, you know, this fast scale and all these. Would you say that the more characters you have in a fantasy setting, the more epic it becomes? Um, well, not necessarily. I mean, it's not because you have a lot of characters that it's super epic. I mean, 
you can have 140 characters and, and still just have a tweet. Yeah, I think uh, the, uh, you're right. The epicness of a story depends on, on many factors. Uh, we, we've talked about that in our first episode, uh, actually, um, about length and epicness. Uh, that's yeah. another factor, for example. Uh, yeah. <coughs> I mean, you could, you could have an, an epic story w- from a pers- first-person perspective possibly i think that's possible uh, and and have it be really massive in scale but um see it all through the eyes of one character that's possible right. but but uh, many characters does make for a more w- sort of world overview sort of thing maybe yeah what i what i think is is also interesting about a limited uh, perspective a third person limited is that you can withhold information, uh, uh, limit the narration to uh, what that character would know, and how right. that character looks at the world, the events that take place, uh, other characters. Hmm. So you see, you see everything from their perspective, uh, through their eyes, actually. So, um, and because you can withhold certain information, you can spring certain. Um Plot twists on the on the reader, right? More easily, right? And and also it it makes your characters um, more interesting in a way because they can be flawed or they can be wrong, and that's uh, more exciting for the story, I think. Yeah, it's also interesting that if you have a character from a very different culture than ours, for example, um, and this is something that Brandon Sanderson does very well in. Uh, Words of Radiance, the second Stormlight Archive book. He has a few chapters from the viewpoint of of uh, one of the characters who are from this very different race. It's very different people who are not human, mm-hmm. and they have their culture and the way they think and the way they communicate is very very different from anything human. Uh, but he has a few chapters from their perspective, and. And it's um, it's fascinating to sort of see the world through this completely different lens, um, different expectations, different priorities in life, etc. Right, right. And um, you 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 can know all motivations of these characters as well. You don't even yeah. you, you don't even have to italicize their thoughts. Mm. You can just describe yes, yes. a scene. Um, as they would experience yeah uh, for example um you could have a chapter from the viewpoint of the villain and uh, uh, say for example the 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 villain hates children <laughs> just <laughs> saying something and uh, you or could eat them <laughs> yeah and and you could you could write something like um children were so delicious with uh, <laughs> with a bit of extra so- special sauce and uh, you know um and because it's from the villain's viewpoint, you don't have to italicize this thought of, I think children are delicious, you know. No, uh, you would just, uh, you would watch a little boy and he would um, describe it as, uh, there was a chubby little boy yeah, with yeah, rosy yeah. cheeks. Because he would yeah. focus on, on things like that, right? Yes, and I think that's one of the strengths of of books as opposed to other storytelling media mm-hmm. is getting inside the mind of uh, of a character and, and and even the way they 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 taste and smell and see things exactly 
So that's very interesting. Yeah, and, and when you have the, the viewpoint of different uh, characters, uh, you, can, you can do this in very different ways and, and for different purposes. You can, uh, for example, have a character that represents a different narrative function, uh, for example, as described by Russian formalist uh, Vladimir Prop. We might actually talk about that in, uh, in later episodes. Or you can, like you mentioned before, you can pick a viewpoint for the protagonist and a viewpoint for the, the antagonist, the bad guy. Mm, uh, that's right. especially interesting in chases. Because, uh, but yeah, if, if, if the chase goes on over multiple chapters... Uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the Da Vinci Code is a good example of that, uh, of, of using um, that point of view in a, in a chase. I mean, not in getting historical facts right, for that uh, matter. But um, in the Da Vinci Code, you have the, the viewpoint of Silas, the bad guy, and Robert Langdon, the main character... And uh, Robert gets chased by the bad guy. And by getting into the mind of the bad guy, you know that he's actually quite close to catching him. And that creates a, a constant tension that makes you want to turn the pages and read on. So in terms of creating um, excitement, Dan Brown is doing a real good job. That uh, The point you make about uh, using the antagonist's perspective to create tension reminds me of something in movies, but we'll talk about that later on. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll hold that thought. Um, okay, so to wrap limited perspective uh, up, uh, it's used a lot um, in epic stories, so it's, it's, it works in fantasy. Um, writers like Tad Williams and Robert Jordan are notorious, notoriously good at it. Brandon Sanderson, of course, as well. So, um, and, and that's great because you can switch viewpoints and uh, get an epic story across from different perspectives. Right. Would you say there are downsides to the limited perspective? That depends uh, on whether you like or dislike a steep learning curve. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. ev- I, I speak, of course, from the perspective yeah, of fantasy, you... world building, etc., a lot of the time in fantasy, what, what really defines the genre is this learning curve. As a reader, you have to sort of get to know the world, get yeah. to know the setting. And there is, you have to learn about it. And in, in this limited perspective, uh, third-person narration, it sort of uh, te- it tends to have the, the effect that you get a lot of world-building info dumps and jargon onto right, your plate. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, from the character's perspective, the information is obvious. Mm-hmm. So you have to keep up as a reader, and that makes it uh, challenging with all the new uh, yeah. wor- words and concepts and yeah. ideas. Yeah, I like um, the Jedi uh, entered his X-Wing, and, you yeah. know, sort of um, these, these, these words are now familiar to us because Star Wars is so well known, but imagine that Star Wars didn't exist. And you'd read about things like that. You wouldn't be able to follow. Mm-hmm. And of course, as an omniscient narrator, you can um, explain all these things and take your time. And as a, a more limited, as a limited narrator, you you really need to get on with the story. And you mention all these. Y- things. You could explain that in a limited narration, but it kind of feels 
it, it always feels a bit clumsy. You know, he took his XYZ. It, it was a special suit that was made for surviving in outer mm-hmm. space. That kind of breaks the, the immersion mm-hmm. of, of yeah. being inside that character's mind. Right. It, it has to be sort of, you know, obvious that an XYZ is a, is a, sp- is a spacesuit. It is obvious. <laughs> Everyone knows an XYZ is a spacesuit. <laughs> Isn't another um, downside of a limited perspective that um, it's hard to use uh, if you want an unreliable narrator? Because if um, oh, if, yeah. if you know what the character thinks and feels, it's hard to keep information from the reader uh, that way. If you want to do that, if you want to use that in your story and plot building. So uh, if, if a character would withhold information, he would have to say things like, oh, I, I can't think about that. Or, <laughs> right. It's too traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. Or, oh, okay. uh, I want to forget that or something. And that makes it... A bit unnatural. So the reader actually, to make it credible, I think the reader should know everything the character uh, knows or doesn't know. Uh. Yeah, Sanderson does something interesting with this in um, in the Stormlight Archive. Um, there is one of the main characters has a person in his past that obviously he wanted to forget or someone has blocked this person from his memory. Um, he used to be married, and from time to time, other people will talk to him about his wife mm-hmm. that he used to be married to. But since, through some kind of magical process, uh, his memory about his wife was erased, every time someone mentions her, he just hears this this <laughs> sound when they say her name. Okay, that's so, original. So... Um, I know, back when you were married to... You always used to... <laughs> um, and um, But what's interesting is that in the third book, you actually find out about his wife that he was married to through flashbacks. So you get, sto- um, you get chapters from the same perspective, from that guy's perspective, but then before his mind was erased. So now you, you, you know, okay. you do learn about these things because it's, you know, it's the same perspective at a different time. See, for every limit of a point <laughs> of view, there's some far-fetched way to get around it. So yeah. no worries there. <laughs> yeah. Um, shall we talk about second person for a while? Um, not that there's a lot uh, to say about it. Well, obviously, it's... It's uh, mostly used in a choose-your-own-adventure type book. And if, if, um, if you don't know what that is, uh, that's not, not uh, too surprising because they're not very popular anymore. They used to exist when, when we were younger. They were more popular, but now they've been mostly replaced by video games, I think. What they were was they were these books where if you read them, you are the main character. And so the book is talking at you um, you are in a forest and mm-hmm. you are on the road to this or that and then usually there, there's an interactive element to it and it says something like um, 
you come at you come at uh, a door do you open it or do you go back and then if you want to open it go to chapter 15 if you want to go back go to chapter 3 yeah um, or, or pick a, a different yeah. way do you pick the the right road or the the left road yeah and as you follow these chapters you know that the story is different um, each time right the chapters are usually numbered right uh, yeah yeah that, that yeah. makes it easier and I think um, if we talk about tense for a while, uh, those choose-your-own-adventure type books are usually written in the present tense, which would make sense. Yeah, because yeah, otherwise you've already made your choice yeah. if it's in the past. <laughs> Did you choose? <laughs> Do you door remember one? which one you <laughs> or chose? Door number two. Uh. Or was your memory erased? So the past is not usually uh, used, and, mm. and the future, I don't think someone ever did that right that would be something like um you will fall in a hole and hurt yourself that oh prophecy yeah. <laughs> or something yeah but not all the time in a <laughs> choose your own adventure type that would be ominous and it seems like a very unpleasant kind of story to read <laughs> yeah. yeah unless it's you will win the lottery and buy a giant castle. I think there there might be an audience for that one. <laughs> mm, yeah, maybe. Okay, so uh, we've had second person. Um, first person, what about first person? I think first person is uh, more popular nowadays. However, um, Moby Dick has a first person reflective narrator, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and and um, back in the 19th century and also the 18th century, I think, uh, l there were these letter novels that were quite popular. Oh, right, yeah. And, and the whole novel was really just a collection of letters of people writing to each other. So it was always in first person. Right. Um, so you could sort of follow the story by, by you know, reading their correspondence. And it was not... Um unclear to the reader uh, who was talking it always started with dear mary yours yeah, yeah. truly <laughs> uh, neville or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah. dracula is of course um, a very famous first person um, letter novel i haven't seen any recent examples although i've heard that they've they've done it with uh, chat messages and emails etc in, in modern novels. Actually, I had never um, read a novel in the first person before I started The Hunger Games. Oh, okay. And I was actually quite surprised with uh, the approach because, uh, yeah, it was new to me. And I think it's really immersive. I, I really, really liked it, actually. So The Hunger Games, what kind of first person would you say that is? Because there are several kinds of first person as well, right? It's more like a camera kind of narrator that describes uh, what the character goes through. And, and it's also... As it, as it happens. As it happens. Yeah. And it also uses the present tense, which makes it very interesting. Yeah. We're in it now. This yeah. is happening now. It's very immersive because you actually feel like you're Katniss going through all of these. Right. Yeah. Uh, I open my eyes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have a headache. Someone's watching me, yeah. etc. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of other YA books um, tend to use the past 
which also works uh, for me. I think it's uh, it's pretty cool. But the present um, has the advantage that you don't know what's going to happen to the character. It's possible uh, she might die because you have no idea. And with a past tense, there's kind of a you you get a reflective narrator and you know the narrator, uh, the character is all right. Right, yeah, that's true. If the story is told as a reflection, it's pretty hard to sell the idea that the character dies, unless, of course, the character is in the afterlife and telling the story from the afterlife. But I think if you do that, it's better to do it from the big be- to show that from the beginning. Yeah. Rather than have a have it be a surprise twist at the end because i think it feels like cheating then plus it's it's been done right uh the sixth sense <gasps> what <laughs> the lovely bones in a way um that was yeah but in the lovely bones you, you know the character is dead yeah uh, yeah um but still she she tells the story from the perspective of being dead yeah yeah that's true the same is true in witch hunter really um but um again it's clear from the beginning so I think a, um, a first person is very suitable to use if you have an if you have one interesting or charming main character or voice in your story. I think it's better for clarity's sake to have less points of view when you use this than more. For example, um, Sanderson uses just one point of view uh, in Reckoners, the Reckoners series, and David is a very charming character. So. It's That's the main character. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's kind of a, a geek who doesn't want to be called a geek. <laughs> the main character would have to be charming or, or, or you know, yeah, fun is. or interesting in some way if you're going to put up with this person for, you know, the whole book. Yeah, and of course, if you want more than one perspective, it gets harder to uh, avoid confusion because mm. um, you're, sp- you're talking in the, the eye. Uh, yeah, form. so sh- changing from chapter to chapter, but always, yeah. f- always from from that person, yeah, from think, in the eye um, person. Yeah. For example, um, I think his name is uh, Jos van der Loo. He's a, a Flemish writer, and he uh, wrote the Love Tree, and he solves this problem of confusion uh, by starting each chapter with the name of the character uh, whose perspective he's. Uh, using right right so it would say like domain i am sitting in the couch with Eline, <laughs> um and yeah. she's laughing at me <laughs> yeah and what's she thinking it so uh, happens there's actually a, a character named domain in the really book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay yeah. that's yeah. that's that's funny <laughs> it's strange because i've had that book for years and i only noticed when i had met you <laughs> and i had never oh, heard the, okay. the name before so but okay. Uh, anyway. um, so, what are the what are the, the the advantages and the pitfalls of first person in general? Do you think? Well, I, I think uh, we we've talked about uh, an unreliable narrator before. I think this one is the more interesting choice when you want to use that, because uh, first person makes that easier than a third person. It kind of works better. For example, in the sitcom How I Met Your Mother. It's uh, Ted Mosby who tells his story about how he met uh, two children, about mm-hmm. how he met their mother. It's a, it's a very cool concept for a sitcom, I think. And he talks about um, 
his life and mm-hmm. his youth and uh, how he met all kinds of girls, but they were all um, not the right one. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, as a as the audience, you you keep wondering. Is this going to be the yeah. woman he's going to marry? Is this the woman who is going to be his wife? And that that's uh, exciting. Only they kind of exaggerate it by adding season after season in which Ted Mosby actually turned out to be a slut who dated one girl after another until you were like, wow. Yeah, I'm afraid he didn't <laughs> catch syphilis or anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that kind of destroys the romance of the entire story. But I yeah, think it's not very romantic the anymore. The concept is very no. interesting in that you you keep wondering: is this the one? Is this the one? Um, the, yeah, the, the, but they. It's an example of what bothers me in series: is they stretch it and they they sort of pull the rug out from under you so many times that you just you sort of give up. You 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 get tired of yeah. it as a as a viewer. But um, exactly. yeah, so on a tangent, uh, this is a sitcom. This is not a novel. We've been mostly talking about the written word. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I just wanted to say that I think it's also always very funny in sitcoms when they've got this um, little flashback that they do when someone says, you know what happened this morning? And then and you see this whole scene play out How from the how that character saw it happen. But then they also give the other ca- another character's perspective, the same scene, but then suddenly everyone behaves very <laughs> differently because it's from there how they remember it. Yeah, that's um, a nice example of uh, using point of view in, in visual media, which yeah. we're going to talk about in, in a minute. Yeah. It's also very interesting. Uh, but I just wanted to mention that before I forgot. Uh, okay. <laughs> Maybe uh, another uh, thing we can mention about uh, first person is that it keeps the learning curve we talked about earlier lower because you can kind of cheat on these info dumps because you, um, when you're a character, your mind wanders and you might want to talk about this and mm. then you start talking about something else. Right, yeah. And you can, um, you can give the reader information, but one bit at a time. Yeah, and and you could you could also do it in in the character's voice, yeah. which might make it more entertaining. For example, so you could have a scene where the main character goes like, um, "Oh, it's it's time for the annual uh, winter festivities again, uh, where where they sacrifice ten goats." <laughs> oh, I always like this because uh, uh, it's the one time I get to eat goat meat or something. I don't know. Yeah, and, and then the character can talk about. Uh, past um, occasions where he or she attended the same festival and things that happened and it, it's it's all a bit slower and more um, delivered in small doses yeah speaking of delivering things in small doses I thought this was a good point to wrap up the first part of this conversation next week You'll hear the second part in which Elin and I talk about storytelling viewpoints as they feature in other media uh, beyond the written word. So um, we'll be talking about video games, movies and audio drama. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please note that we also make our own audio stories, audio dramas. You can find them right here on this podcast 
or if you're listening on YouTube on this YouTube channel. And if you've enjoyed those, you can certainly always support us by purchasing the stories on Bandcamp, where you can get the, the whole experience without any interruptions, no ads, uh, and in higher quality. And, of course, there's, there are also the USB audio tapes. You can find them on uh, audiobooksontape.com. And if you like to read, we also have them as books. You can just find the books on Amazon. So, um, thank you for listening, and I look forward to presenting the second part of this conversation to you next week. This is Domine, signing off.